Howdy, Tonzilla Files. Welcome to another episode of Escaping the Cave. Tonzilla X Pod, EscapingTheCave.com. Fuck Twitter. Hi. It's Wednesday. I'm not doing very good about getting these out every day, am I? <laughs> Apologies. Wednesday, February the 26th, 2020. Creeping up on March. Got a snowstorm rolling through Michigan. A uh, small one, anyway. Not been much of a winter at all. Here in the, uh, I guess, what is this, the upper Midwest, the Great Lakes region. You know, when I was a kid, we used to get a lot of snowstorms. It seems like it, anyway. My memory could be a little foggy. We haven't had much of a winter at all. No polar vortexes coming down from the Arctic whatsoever. Usually we get a couple of snaps every year where it's 20 below zero or whatever. Haven't had any of those this year. Hardly any snow. Saw some article where Chicago's supposed to get their biggest snowstorm of the year. And to date, as we come up on March, the biggest snow that Chicago's had, two and a half hours west of here, has been three and a half inches this this winter. I swear to God, that's what it said. Yeah. Anyway, got a little bit of a storm coming. Maybe six inches. Woo! It's, it's typically fashionable for a podcaster to tell you which episode he's on. I never do that. In fact, I hardly ever even say my name. This is episode number 64. And I've done a little uh, grabbing of some old audio. I went back into my old stuff from uh, September. I'm going to do an episode on validation addiction today. And I touched on validation back in September with the Iceberg Ahoy episode. I went back and looked at it, and I realized, well, I think that is where I got off track away from the propaganda series and the propaganda material that I was doing over the summer. And I was intending to get right back to it. And that was something like 20 episodes ago, and I still haven't moved back there. I'd collected so much material and had gotten a little distracted as well, admittedly. I'm finally getting, I think, pretty close to the end of it, of everything else, the tertiary stuff that I had. I hesitate to say this because when I tell you I'm going to do something, half the time I don't. I I feel bad about that. I don't want to lie to you. I don't want to set expectations. I don't want to disappoint you, the loyal Tonzillophile listener. But I think I'm going to take the agitation propaganda material that I put together in July and August of last year. I think I'm going to distill it. I'm going to take some of the commentary out of it. And I'm going to try to stick to the book as best I can. And tie that into what's happening in the political situation, the media landscape in which we live in 2020. And I'm going to use that as a springboard, I think, to get back to the rest of the material from the Jacques Ellul book that I did not get to last year. There's still more. Stuff like propaganda and truth. When the means strangle the ends, propaganda and democracy. There's a lot more material in that book that I haven't even touched on and Approaching March 2020, in this landscape, considering everything that happened with Bernie Sanders, everything that's happening with Russian co-interference in the election. Remember, this isn't a political rant, I promise. What we're talking about, what we're seeing with the uh, Russian interference and the social media campaigns, the propaganda injections into our media ecosystem and our social media ecosystem, make no mistake about this, kids. This is agitation propaganda. This is the propaganda of insurgency. It's exactly what it is. It is meant to destabilize a country. That's the goal here. Almost, Actually, I can't say that. 
I was going to say that no one in the media is saying, is, is trying to get the, the, the population to inoculate themselves, to become more sophisticated informational consumers. Anna Cabrera, I think her name is, the weekend chick. No, that's for Freder, Frederica Whitfield. I hope I got her name right. She actually started to tiptoe around it this weekend on CNN. Now, she, she couldn't do it directly. She had to have a little smile. Well, maybe if people would you know, watch what they're saying, maybe fact check. Oh, she, couldn't, she couldn't look you in the eye. Look in that big old camera sitting in front of her and say, you know what? If you fuckers would pay attention and actually fact check the shit you're sharing on social media, none of this stuff would be a problem. She couldn't do that. I think she kind of wanted to. I really do. Anyway. What I was saying is I think it's almost criminal not to focus on this stuff now, not to get the rest of this propaganda material that I was working on, I don't know, five, six months ago out there. You can do whatever you like with it. I'm not going to make a, a frog's fat ass a difference here in the world in general. But if you can take some of this and you can understand how it's being used, how to detect it, when to shut it off, when to shut off your identity, d- disconnect your identity from the rhetoric, when to recognize the twitch tied to moral certitude. A little more on this is coming today. When you're craving a dopamine hit. Knowing when to just back off and when to tell other people to back the fuck off as well. Then, if that can happen, I'll feel like I accomplished something. Not much. <laughs> hey, it's my gift to you. This is a public service, by the way. I'm not getting paid here. I'm not selling any advertising. You don't, you notice, you don't, you never hear any ads except for mine. Upperworldphoto.com. Go buy a picture. That's the only thing you're ever going to hear on this podcast. <sighs> Validation addiction. This is tied to it's evolutionary psychology. Validation, group validation. We evolved it to be part of a group, to be part of a tribe. And that validation is based, biologically speaking, on group cohesion. This is what kept us knitted and bound together. It triggers dopamine. It triggers a dopamine release in your mind. You're going to be hearing a lot about dopamine in these coming episodes. All right. What I'm concerned about at this point right now is in the realm of social media, the social media disease and how that affects our behavior online and what that's doing to us as a society and as a culture. All right. I did an episode about uh, five years ago, 2014, called The Demon. It's not a very good episode. It really needs to be chopped up, hacked up and edited. Like I said, it's five years old. The equipment sucked. And so did I, to be quite honest with you. But the core of it, the crux of that episode, which was recorded in the direct wake of Robin Williams' suicide, when it gets into talking about performance addiction and the need to perform, the need to get validation, to get approval, it's what I call performance addiction. I've talked to stand-up comedians about this. I know a lot of other performers uh, deal with it. I know radio people. Who've dealt with this? I think I might have at some point. It's interesting. I've heard a lot of stand up comedians talk about this when they get up on stage and they nail it. 
and the crowd's just going nuts. That is that that love coming from the crowd being that's flooding the stage. That that feeling is a dopamine release. And I think in my head, and not just me, a lot of other people think the same thing. A lot of people that work in the tech industry who have worked for Facebook and Twitter, they understand that what they're doing is triggering a dopamine release with this validation engine, this validation release system that they've created and talked each and every one of us, with a few exceptions, into installing on their phones and having it in their pocket. Having it in their pocket 24 hours a day, seven days a week, it's never far away. Especially if you've got these social media applications on your phone, you have a dopamine drip in the form of an electronic device that's always poking and prodding and triggering you. The tech people know this. Zuckerberg understands this. I mentioned the uh, quote from Your Undivided Attention several times since I've heard it. He understood in the early 2000s, like 2004, maybe 2005, somebody heard him say that validation, social validation, is a universal human trait. Everybody requires it. It's a human requirement. And he who owns that, he who owns validation, owns everything. It's not what he says. It's not a direct quote, but something down that line. If you can own validation, you will be incredibly powerful. And that's what Facebook is. With the like system, the comments, the shares... Whenever you get a like or something down that line, you feel good. Oh, somebody likes what I've done. Ah, dopamine. Instagram, I know I got into it a little bit when I was doing my photography stuff, but yeah. It's a dopamine release system. It's incredibly addictive. And as I said in the Demon Podcast, that performance addiction, it's a hole that never fills. The tolerance, as I'm sure some of you who have experienced social media, I don't know, addiction, even a semi-addiction, maybe a little bit of anxiety, you understand that if you get 30 likes on a photo, yeah, you feel great, but what if you only get 10 the next time? What if the next time, two, three photos down the road, you get 30? Well, why am I not getting 40 now? This is a hole that never fills. It's a tolerance that always increases. You can never get enough. It is a drug. Your body, your mind adapts to it. Outside of the euphoric but temporary hits of digital and synthetic dopamine coming from a distorted view of how whoever apparently see you or something you've posted. Your sense of self-worth, if you're not careful, becomes based on each and every performance that you uh, put out there. And how it's taken, how it's received. And seeking validation boils down to getting permission to believe in yourself from other people. If you can't self-validate, if you're seeking validation from other people, you're getting their permission. You're getting permission to believe in yourself. Validation is an external stamp of social status and approval. When people don't get it, they'll seek it out. They'll manufacture it. Abandon their own unique path and place in the universe in order to emulate what they think people would, quote-unquote, like them to be. You start playing to the crowd to get a reaction. Stuff we learn as a kid, probably in, what, elementary school, right? You start playing to who you think those other people would rather see. 
The masses then talking online here. The virtual world, the matrix, the masses become non-commercialized versions of boutique news entertainers, Glenn Beck modeled influencers. Song and dance men who are only barely attached, if they're attached at all, to who they really are or might become. In fact, they probably confuse their digitized persona for the real thing. Stand-up comedians, online influencers, podcasters who have monetized validation. I've seen this. This might be a good place to talk about it, but I think I'm going to do another podcast on podcasters. And so they'll love it. But there are a lot of podcasters that I've seen in these groups who have monetized validation. They have monetized the validation stream. It's fascinating. It's fascinating to listen to the post hoc stuff, how they rationalize it away. Monetizing the dopamine hit. It's (laughs) educational. Let's just say that. All in the name of building a brand. Monetizing the brand, monetizing validation, approval, praise, downloads. You can see the telltale signs of validation addiction all over these groups, man. And how they explain it away, you can tell when they're not getting enough and they don't understand their expectations were entirely too high when they started doing this podcast. And then they go into the group looking for encouragement, looking for validation within the group because they are not getting enough downloads from their podcast because they expected to be superstars right off the bat. I mean, it's sad. Yeah, with these guys and with a lot of other people too, I've seen this firsthand. The audience's silence being ignored then. When you put on your little song and dance, you get up on the stage And nobody pays attention to you. Nobody acknowledges that you're up there dancing. Nobody throws their likes, their comments, their flowers. Nobody shares it. That silence becomes a dagger, a dagger of perceived rejection. Being ignored feels like you're being rejected when you're a performer, man. really does. And believe it or not, each and every person on social media be it Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all of it, have entered the realm of performance. Each and every time you find something funny and you want to share it with your friends and get some sort of feedback, watch your mental processes. Part of you, yes, is sharing it perhaps to entertain your friends and your family, but you want to get the reaction. You want somebody to (laughs) like. There is a reaction element to this, and you know it. You know, I'm talking to you one-to-one right now. You probably have headphones on, or maybe you're listening in your car. I don't know how you listen to this podcast, but it's just me and you right now. I can't see your face. I can't see how you're reacting to this. But we're not in a crowd now, and presumably you're listening to this by yourself. Think about this real hard. You're not posting it just to give it away in some altruistic sense. You want something back. That's the nature of social media. Watch the mental process. Think about the mental process. Dig deep down, Luke. You know it to be true. That dagger perceived rejection leads to despair. And and it can lead to a depressive state that's directly tied. Yeah, I said depressive. Directly tied to withheld validation. Withheld dopamine. 
You've gotten used to it. You like it. Now you're not getting it. Now you feel like shit. And suddenly you're not, quote-unquote, good enough. Feel abandoned, ostracized, ignored because the external validation stream, the dopamine drip, has been cut off. Now, I've experienced some of this myself. Not to uh, acute degrees, but I have seen people, other people, I'm not going to say who they are. They know who they are. Well, they're probably not listening. But I have seen people that have done that. You can, yeah, I, I think we've all noticed this to a degree. Of, with somebody probably in our friends list or in our feeds, where they keep posting things and posting things and posting things, and then they make some offhand comment that's supposed to be disguised as not really, I don't really care. But why isn't anybody paying attention to my stuff? I post stuff and I never get anything back. And I don't mean to mock here. I do voices sometimes just out of habit. That's not mockery. But I know a couple of my friends who have one guy who's no longer in my list. He's been gone for a long time. But, oh, my God, you would never expect him to care so much that nobody was clicking a like button on his stuff. But you could tell once you watch this, once you understand it, then you start paying attention to what he's posting. He really wants acknowledgement. He needs it. And he's not getting it. He starts getting angry. And depressed. That's the big thing, was seeing how depressed he got. But he never pulled away from it. He never understood that the, the drug was the, the platform itself, coming on his phone, on his computer, whatever it was. He never understood the, the addictive nature of it. So he kept doing more and more and more and more and more, and then got pissed off when nothing came back. That dopamine hit, that validation, especially on Facebook, See, we evolved to get that organically from people like in our lives, in our organic life, people who actually looked upon and touched. And as I said in the, in the podcast in September, you could tell if they had halitosis. You could smell them. You could see them. Read their body language. That's how we evolved to get it. We didn't evolve to get this via text on a digital device that fits in our pocket and get it from people 5,000 miles away. It's artificial. There's no real human connection tied to it. But it's simulated quite well. But it's still a synthetic validation drug that's unrelated to the organic world. It cannot be maintained. Not with much success because it doesn't transfer well outside of the matrix. Now, people try. I've seen a lot of people try this. I told you the story about the guy, uh, I think... The guy, the guy, I went up to say hi to him right after Trump's election. First thing out of his, well, we sure showed those fucking uh, libtards something, didn't we? Or something down that line. I hadn't said a word to him, but he's bringing his, his virtual matrix, his online avatar out into the real world and trying to take it for a walk. This is about maybe, what, 10 days after the Halloween party out in Phoenix where Trump guy and liberal guy each started posting at each other at a Halloween party. Getting along real well before they started doing that almost came to blows because you could tell they were posting. You could tell that they were basically pulling prefabricated or already posted material out of the Internet and throwing it at each other verbally in person and almost getting in a fight over it. People do this shit all the time. They like this character that they've created online, so they start to bring it into the real world. So often it doesn't work. How do you stop all this? I mean, are you supposed to cut the validation streams? Is it a matter of simply getting out of the incestuous echo chambers 
correcting the validation hunting behavior, focusing on being an individual surrounded by individuals, or at least people with whom your relationship and general affection isn't based on fluffing each other's political and social opinion. It sounds simple enough, but it is not that easy, because cutting off an addict cold turkey is not safe, especially in this situation. I talked about this a little bit back in September, that there are significant psychological effects of cutting off a dopamine stream. And also, Elul got into that in the propaganda book. What does that have to do with dopamine, Todd? Propaganda. Well, (laughs) I've made a connection And this is how I put it back in September. Check it out. And after all the propaganda stuff that I've done, I strongly suspect that dopamine is tied to the visceral response that people get from propaganda. The illusion of performative action. Therefore, the uh, for-profit outrage, agitation, propaganda, industrial complex, among some other things. A drunken sense of egocentric meaning and self-importance. Oh, joy. Where could that lead? You've got the, uh, the herd, the ideological herd around you. And everybody supports it. Everybody in that echo chamber supports it. Everybody's like, yes, boom, validation, boom, dopamine. I think it's directly tied to that. So what Alul talked about in the propaganda book is that if you take that away, if you cut these streams, in other words, if you get off the Internet and you no longer have your propaganda nourishment coming to you every single moment of every single day, there are psychological consequences that come with that, and those psychological consequences sound an awful lot like dopamine withdrawal to me. Depression, anime, loss of focus, loss of balance, loss of a compass. You don't know who you are or what you're doing. You're only a partial human being again. I talked about this in that episode back, uh, I think, in September, uh, when I learned that uh, Facebook and Twitter were tinkering with the idea of eliminating their like buttons and their follower status bragging display over there on Twitter. There was chatter about them getting rid of that because they understood the well-being of their users. They understood, I think they always, in fact, I know they always understood the dopamine connection, but I think they figured out that other people are starting to figure out that dopamine connection and understanding that they're pushers. They're little Walter Whites in the dopamine world. Once you're hooked on it, it's incredibly hard to give that stuff up. You hear of people who want to quit Facebook, but can't. If there wasn't an addictive nature to it, it would be easy to get rid of it. That addictive trait is tied to dopamine, and they know it. They engineer this stuff into the app, on the phone, on your computer, into the platform. They understand exactly what they're doing. They do this stuff in video games, too. They engineer the gambling aspect into a lot of sports games. I know that. I intend to get back to uh, dopamine addiction uh, in depth at some point. Uh, But for right now, let's pretend, old former ideological proselyte and crusader, that you are committed and beginning to sober up. Beginning to sort of extract yourself from the dopamine drip. Jacques Ellul touched on this difficulty quite well in his book, Propaganda, decades before social media was either conceived. Yes, I'm reiterating. He talked about how many people just cannot bring themselves to confront their drunken propaganda past. So continue the path, come hell or high water. They cannot walk it back. They've done something. They've said something. Or they've done and said enough. Or cleaning up the mess is overwhelming 
It's better to double, triple, quadruple down. And man, I get this. I do. It's hard. I could never fully confront and clean it up fully myself. And this isn't limited to just social media either. Uh, Your Undivided Attention has an episode on hate that they put out, I think, at the end of last year. And uh, there was a reformed white supremacist who was interviewed on that show. And what he called it was uh, social momentum. Check it out. It took some time for it to play out. I became a full-time single father. That became my new identity. I mean, there was it wasn't easy to give up the old one. I had so much social capital invested. I had so much momentum in that identity of who I was. But I started to get, as a single dad in the 90s, and it's completely unfair, everybody was patting me on the back. Oh, my God, I can't believe you're a single dad. Like, no single mother in the 90s got that type of attention. But it gave me, again, acceptance, approval, and attention, but in a healthy way this time. And so I had an identity to transition to. I did not write the guy's name down. I will put it in the uh, show notes. But that is uh, your undivided attention from uh, their episode on hate, I think, back in December. And this guy really, he nailed it. He nailed it. He's still getting the validation, but he's getting it in a positive way. He figured out a way to transition away from an old identity, an old validation stream, something corrosive, something destructive, something hateful and understood how to tether his identity to something positive and still get the validation, the proper healthy, proper sounds so pretentious, but at least the healthy social validation. And part of this problem, I think, and I haven't seen this really addressed anywhere else, and I'd love to, is an inability to self-validate. I think that's there's a connection in there somewhere. I don't have a doctorate from Freud U, okay? But I really do. I think there's a. I think there's an element. I think that the, the people are going to be more susceptible to this who cannot self-validate, who on some level are vastly more insecure than other people who are heavily addicted to an online identity or an online validation stream. But this guy, I think, nailed it. I think it's. I think it's a matter of getting away from the negative, corrosive shit and figuring out a way to become something in the organic world that validates in a healthy way. There's also group dynamics, established behaviors, the avatar's opinions, and his distorted personality traits can take on, like this guy said, a formidable momentum. The group dynamic, your friends have expectations, your family has expectations, people that you have been around and presented yourself to have validated you, and that comes with expectations to keep up the momentum, the social momentum. That's a crafted stage persona. And that persona can never remove his mask lest he be exposed for the inauthentic fraud he just might be. They may see that you're putting on an act. That you've been dancing for your validation supper. He has to keep up the expected appearances put on performance for the attention-paying audience. Plus, he also has to try to maintain a working relationship with his fellow Echo Chamber cast members, lest he be banished from the troupe. So other people who are dancing on the stage, putting out a performance, getting their validation from it, you've got to play along with those people. This I can speak to quite nicely. When I started to sober up and leave the resistance, leave liberalism a few years ago, oh my God. I was no longer playing nice with those stage members. <laughs> it was really funny because my, my online persona, at least my online avatar, 
is nothing like it used to be. I'm tame these days. I'm Mr. Congeniality compared to who I was five years ago. And these liberals, my former you know, cohorts in righteous battle, never thought I was an asshole five years ago. But holy crap, they can't stand me now. And I am infinitely more congenial online now than I ever have been. Isn't that odd? I was never an asshole when I was really an asshole. But now that I'm trying not to be an asshole, holy crap, I'm an asshole. Because I don't agree with them. Funny how that works, isn't it? I got to continue. Uh, too big of a mess to clean up. Mention that. Too much face, too much status to lose. Better to double, triple, quadruple down and go all in than to admit. To own up to, be accountable that you're fallible. That you made a mistake. <sighs> and that you regret it. It's only part of the story. How does this affect society as a whole? Well, uh, the political group mind, you know, the herd mentality. How does this apply to the filthy mob? This is the problem of a fallible human mind indulging in Jacques Ellul's moral and ideological certitude. Ellul in his book talked about how the more propagandized you are, the more drunk you are on ideological hooch, the more certain you are the more bold you and the herd become. And as uh, Walter Lippmann put it in his article in The Atlantic from 1919 entitled The Basic Problem of Democracy, he says the more cocksure a person is, the more certainly he is the victim of some propaganda. I could dig out an H.L. Mencken quote here, too, where he talks about the same exact thing. These people that you see who are so certain of themselves, as Mencken put it, it's because they know they've got the flock behind them. They have joined something. It's power in numbers, and they know that whatever they say, as long as it's in the, within the, the ideological guidelines, the guideposts of the herd, they've got infinite support behind them. Therefore, they can stand up, puff their chest out, and be cocksure, as Lippmann put it, and boast in their moral certitude, as Alul repeatedly said in that book. One of the rock-solid tenets of somebody who's propagandized is that certainty, that, that rock-solid cocksureness. I love that word, cocksure. That certainty that they are one million percent right because everybody back there, hi guys, everybody back there told them so and will tell them so every time somebody dares challenge them. They can call in the reinforcements and shout them down. One of the common virtues throughout every single culture that I've ever seen anyway is courage. It does not take courage to join a mob. It takes courage to stand apart from one. Something else to consider is the ego and the id. been talking about that in the uh, other episodes just prior to this. Uh, the quest for status and validation versus basic humility. Basic humility. Something, yes, yes, Todd's going to talk about humility. That may be a bit ironic. Uh, but something has to give here. The ego, the id, versus basic humility, those two things don't play well together. They do not mix well together. Something has to give intellectual sovereignty and a comforting and compulsive validation addiction. Those things are diametrically opposed. They are fully incompatible. One must be sacrificed at the other's altar. You can disguise it in all the clever post hoc fiction and rhetoric you like, but as Rush put it, you can twist perceptions, reality won't budge. That is a great song. Can twist perceptions, reality.
reality won't budge. Sometimes these episodes run short. Sometimes they run long. This one ran long today. I expected to be further into this. And to be quite honest with you, not feeling all that hot. A little tired. You're getting a little sick. I don't know. Got more on this. I'm going to cut this one short and get to uh, the rest of it either today or tomorrow. More on data overload. Unreasonable expectations of the herd. <laughs> that was on me. Uh, defaulting to the myth. Also being ostracized from the group. And why is this so damn hard? Why is it so hard to separate? From the herd, from the mob. Going to talk about the chosen ones as well. <laughs> ah. Escapingthecave.com. That's my website. And uh, fuck Twitter. Hard. With a pipe. Thanks for clicking in. Till next time, so long.